0: Okay, well let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just affirmed earlier on in the Apostles' Creed that we believe in the resurrection of the body. We pray now by your word and in your spirit, please help us to understand what it means more and show us how we should live our lives in light of that fact. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me ask you, what are Singaporeans like? What are Singaporeans like? You know, if, if you ask a visitor to Singapore to you know, give their impressions of Singapore, what do you think they'll say? Well, my guess is they'll say, well, Singapore is a very well-organized, well-planned, orderly place. Everything in this country seems to be very uh, you know, carefully thought through. Every decision is you know, rigorous, rigorously examined. Every possibility is considered from all different angles. So generally, Singaporeans are pragmatic, Singaporeans are determined and focused and very rational people, right? You wouldn't, the, the first thing that comes to mind wouldn't be that they are very dreamy or relaxed or you know, idealistic people, right? So everything in life is meticulously considered and carefully planned to get the best possible advantage in life. But strangely, there's one possibility that Singaporeans don't think about, and don't want to think about. Actually it's not a possibility. It's an inevitability. You know there's only one thing certain about life. And that is death. Death is the only certainty about life. But people don't want to think about it, you know. Mention death and people will try to hush you up. They say toy, toy toy or something. Just thinking that, you know, if I don't mention it maybe it won't happen. But that's not a very rational, Singaporean way of thinking, surely. You know, if you knew that the possibility of something was 100%, you're not going to just ignore it, but you would take it into account in all the decisions that you make. So today, I'm going to talk about the thing that nobody wants to talk about, which is death. See, and not just death in an abstract sense, I'm going to talk about your death and my death. You see, you are going to die, and I'm going to die. And what's going to happen after that? Well, you might say, oh, I know the answer. It's eternal life, it's resurrection. Well, really? Do you really believe that? So let me ask you, does the way that you live show that you believe in resurrection after death? Now, in today's passage, we're going to find out what believing in the resurrection really means for us really means in how we should live. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember that last week we looked at the first half of this chapter and we said that if there is no future resurrection, we might as well just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's what the passage said in verse um, verse 32. It said that we might as well just enjoy our present life because there is no more to life than that. But Paul said that there is going to be a resurrection. The fact that Jesus was risen from the dead means that we must also be raised from the dead in the future. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. But this was not enough for the Corinthians. So in today's part of the reading, in verse 35, they ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now, it wasn't enough for Paul to tell them that there would be a resurrection. He also had to tell them why there would be a resurrection in a body. Why the resurrection would be a bodily resurrection. See, they had a lot of trouble understanding this bodily resurrection because they were influenced by the Greek philosophers. So to them, our souls are imprisoned in our bodies. And the physical body is not that important because it's going to die anyway. But the soul is the most important thing because it endures forever. And they believe that when you die, the, the soul is set free from the body. And they thought it was better for the soul to be free to roam around rather than to be locked up in the prison of a body. And so for them, heaven should be a place of spirits and not of bodies. And that's why they couldn't understand resurrection. They couldn't understand why you want to have physical bodies in heaven. See, when you get to heaven, why do you still want this body that can be sick and that can uh, get injured, that can get destroyed? Why? How can such bodies be fit to live in heaven? That was their question. So in verse 36, Paul says this. Um, let's turn to the passage. Yep. Verse 36. How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives it His its own body. So he's saying that our resurrection bodies will not be the same as our current mortal bodies. It won't be the same kind of body. Verse 36 says, A seed that you sow in the ground produces a plant only after it dies. The seed and the plant cannot both be alive at the same time. Either the seed uh, is still alive, in which case there is no plant, or the plant comes from the seed, in which case there is no more seed. It's died. So in the same way, when our mortal bodies... Die and are sown into the ground It will in the future become a resurrection body The resurrection body in some way comes from the remains of our mortal bodies And also in verses 37 to 38 It says the plant that comes from the seed Is a different kind of body to the seed So if you put a papaya seed into the ground You're not going to get a papaya seed coming out You're going to get a papaya tree The seed and the tree are completely different. And that's what the resurrection body will be like. See, even though it comes from the seed, from the mortal body, yet it's something completely different. We shouldn't expect that our resurrection bodies will be exactly the same as the bodies that we have now. And in verse 39, verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another birds another and fish another there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another the sun is one kind of splendor the moon another and the stars another and star differs from star in splendor so paul is using examples from everyday life to show that there are different kinds of bodies so there are earthly bodies there are heavenly bodies. The earthly bodies are like human bodies, fish bodies, animal bodies, bird bodies, right? They're all very different kinds of body uh, with different kinds of splendor. So if you say, oh, this is a, a splendid and beautiful human body, that's very different from saying this is a splendid and beautiful goldfish body, right? It, it, two different kinds of things. Now, apart Apart from earthly bodies, there are also the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, the stars. And they are all different from each other in their splendor, in their glory. And even among the stars, there are differences as well. Don't ask me what they are, but there are differences among the stars in the kinds of glory that they have. So basically, Paul is saying that the bodies don't all have to be the same. You see, there can be different kinds of bodies. There can be different kinds of bodies with different kinds of splendor or glory. And then in verse 42, he applies this analogy to our resurrection. He says, the resurrection body is going to be a different kind of body. So verse 42, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So the resurrection body will be very, very different from the bodies that we have now. See, our bodies can be injured and destroyed and we will get sick and eventually we will die. But the resurrection body will be indestructible. Maybe it will be something like Iron Man except that it will be better looking. See, we will have glorious and powerful bodies. See, Our bodies will be just like Jesus' resurrection body. See, Jesus' body after his resurrection was different from his body before he was resurrected. It was transformed into a glorious body, an imperishable, immortal body. He was able to enter rooms uh, without going through the doors. Jesus' body was able to disappear. Jesus' body was able to go up in the clouds to heaven and live forever. And so we will have bodies like Jesus' resurrection body. Now, the resurrection body comes from the sea, comes from the old mortal body, but still it will be a very different kind of body. So the resurrection body uh, is not completely new and different from the old body that we have. Okay? There is some kind of connection between the, the old body and the new body. See, the resurrection body is based on the old body. So, for example, if you if you look at a baby now, right, you can't imagine what this baby will look like when they become an adult. But when you look at the adult, and then you go look at their baby photos, you see the resemblance. Oh, yeah, see, I see your face in the baby photo, right? See, in the same way, although we can't imagine what our resurrection bodies will be like, it will probably resemble something like what we look like now. I don't know exactly what it will be like, but I know that when I'm resurrected in heaven, I will probably won't look like Brad Pitt. Okay? I'll probably still look like myself in some way. I'll still retain my identity as me. I won't become somebody else. And yet on the other hand, the resurrection body will be different. Yes, there are similarities, but there are also differences. It's not just the old body brought back to life again. It's not identical with the old body. It's the old body that is transformed and perfected and glorified. So I've always wondered why Jesus' disciples had so much difficulty recognizing him when they first saw him after the resurrection. Maybe, I'm just speculating, maybe there was some difference in the way that he he looked like before he died and after he was resurrected. But the difference was not so great that they couldn't recognize him, because they did in the end. Now all of this raises different questions for us in modern society. Somebody asked me, does that mean that uh, if the resurrection body is somehow derived from the dead body, like like a plant coming from a seed, does that mean that Christians should not be cremated? You know, should Christians who died be buried instead of cremated? Well, the fact that the resurrection body comes from the dead mortal body does not necessarily mean that God must use exactly the same substance, exactly the same atoms and molecules from the dead body to make the resurrection body. You see, the link between the resurrection body and the dead body is not that they must share the same substance but they have the same identity and the same essence. They are the same person. That is the link. We can't deny that when we read the Bible, the norm was burial. And from the beginning of the church's history, Christians chose to bury their dead because it reflected their hope of resurrection. But the Bible does not condemn the practice of cremation. And we know that in the Roman Empire, Christian martyrs were burned uh, to death they were fed to the lions, things like that, but just because their bodies were destroyed doesn't mean that God cannot resurrect them. See, cremation doesn't stop God's power of resurrecting. God can raise the dead no matter what happens to the bodies after death, even if they are reduced to dust. Now another question that somebody asks is, will, will I be resurrected as the 15-year-old me, or the 30-year-old me, or the 60-year-old me? You know? Or will people who die as children be in heaven as adults? Now we can speculate all we like, but at the end of the day God doesn't tell us. Maybe because we don't really need to know. And what about our physical deformities, our imperfections, you know? Will we go to heaven with all our scars, our crooked teeth, our bad skin? You know, will we be still so thin? Or will we be still so fat? You know? Again, we don't know because God doesn't tell us. But all we know is that heaven is going to be a perfect place and our resurrection bodies are not exactly the same as our current bodies. So, Paul summarizes the difference between the resurrection body and the dead body. He says that one is a natural body, the other is a spiritual body. Now, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. He's not saying that a natural body is the physical body that you can see and touch and feel and the spiritual body is like a ghost, like a spirit, you know, floating around like a vapor. That's not what he's saying. See, natural body means our earthly beings, who we are now, the kind of people that we are in this life on earth. We have flesh and blood. We are frail bodies that can die. But spiritual bodies are the bodies that we will have in heaven. We will have real physical bodies in heaven. They can be seen like Jesus' resurrection body. They can be touched. They can be felt. They can eat like Jesus did after his resurrection. But these bodies will be perfect, imperishable bodies. So to sum it up, we will have real physical resurrection bodies in the future and these are somehow derived from our old Bodies, but yet they are different they will be different and next Paul says in verse 45 let me read to you from 45 so it is written the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam a life giving spirit the spiritual did not come first but the natural and after that the spiritual the first man was of the dust of the earth the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are f- of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man of he- from heaven. There's the natural body and the spiritual body. And each of these bodies hath a model and a prototype. Okay, So the natural body's model or prototype is Adam, and the spiritual body's model or prototype is Jesus. So where did these two bodies come from? Well, if you think about the natural body, Paul says, go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and read for yourself. How did this body come about? Well, God took the dust of the earth and formed it into the shape of a man, And he breathed his breath into this man. And then this man became the first living being, Adam. That was how the natural body came about. And how did the spiritual body come about? Well, the spiritual body began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This was the first ever resurrection spiritual body. So it says that Jesus was raised from the dead. He became a life-giving spirit. Now, Jesus is compared to Adam, but he's greater than Adam. Adam is just a living being. Jesus is not called a, a living spirit. He's called a life-giving spirit. He doesn't just live, he also gives life to all of us. He is raised from the dead in order that we also can be raised from the dead and have eternal life. And so there are two classes of humanity with two kinds of bodies. The first, the old humanity, is the humanity on earth, who have natural bodies. And these people are modeled after Adam's body of dust. Their life comes from Adam, and Adam is their prototype, their head, their representative. See, all of us, all human beings belong to this first class of humanity. We all are created in the likeness of Adam, with bodies made from dust. And not only that, it's not just that we have natural bodies like Adam, but we will also die like Adam. If you remember back to last week's passage, uh, verses 21 and 22, it says, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die... So, in Christ, all will be made alive. See, Adam brought death into the world because of his sin. And as a result, everyone who belongs to Adam will also experience death. But there is a different, a second humanity. And this new humanity is the heavenly humanity who have spiritual bodies. And they are modeled after Christ the model of the Jesus' resurrection body. Their life comes from Him. He is their head, their prototype, their representative. And everyone who is saved, everyone who believes in Jesus, belongs to this new humanity. They belong to Jesus. And so, because Jesus is the man from heaven, they belong to heaven. And because of Jesus' resurrection... We will all be resurrected. We will all have new bodies like Jesus' resurrection body. We will have spiritual bodies that are fit to live in heaven. And we will be made into Christ-likeness. That's what it says here. Now being made into Christ-likeness doesn't mean that we will all look like clones of Jesus. It means that we will all have the same kind of bodies as Jesus had when he was resurrected. So if you believe, if you trust in the Lord Jesus for salvation, then know that he has given you life and this life will climax on that day when you will be given new bodies forever. So no, you now belong to this new second class of humanity and you will have bodies of, like that of Jesus and you will share his likeness. Now, Paul has been answering those objections from the Corinthians, right? Uh, You know, why can physical bodies live in heaven? How can that happen? They thought the experience of heaven should not be spoiled by having bodies in heaven. And surprisingly, Paul kind of agrees with them to some sense. See what he says in verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says, yes, it's true. Frail human bodies cannot live in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. But the Corinthians are wrong to think, therefore, that there is no resurrection. Because instead of these frail human bodies, we will be in heaven with new, indestructible spiritual bodies. How is that going to happen? Well, Paul says, Let me tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That means, not all Christians will die. Some Christians will remain alive when Christ comes again. We don't know if that will be us or not. Not every Christian will die, but every Christian will be changed into resurrection bodies. On that last day when Jesus comes again, there will be a loud trumpet and just like that, in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, people will be resurrected and they will come out from their graves and be amazed at their new bodies. That's what's going to happen. And those who are alive when Jesus returns will also be changed into uh, resurrection bodies that can never die. Now, Paul says here that our resurrection is like putting on new clothes on top of the old clothes. It's not that we take off, that we strip off the perishable body and replace it with the imperishable body. No, he says the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. In other words, we don't do away with this old body of ours and have a completely new, different body. No, the new body clothes the old body. The old body is the seed for the new body to come from. And the, old body, uh, the new body has a trace, an imprint of what the old body was like. And in verse 54, Paul says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, We will finally get to live in heaven with our new resurrection bodies. And that is when all of God's plans for creation will be fulfilled. God made promises to save. God made promises to redeem the state of the universe. And these are all fulfilled at the resurrection, at the second coming of Christ. Now if you remember, the Bible tells us that God made everything at the beginning good and perfect but somehow it was spoiled by mankind's sin. But God has a plan. God has a plan to restore the world to what He intends it to be. And His plan is to conquer sin and conquer death in Jesus' death and resurrection. And Because Jesus died for our sake and rose again, that is why we can be forgiven of sin and raised to new life. Now in the Old Testament, there were promises of God that he would conquer death. Okay, if you turn to Isaiah, the passage in Isaiah talks about God destroying death. In verse 8, he will swallow up death forever and God will wipe away the tears from all faces. Or in Hosea, God says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues and where, O death, is your destruction? And Paul quotes all of these Old Testament promises to show us that when we are resurrected in the future, that is when God will fulfill those promises that He gave long time ago. And God can only fulfill these promises through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if Jesus had not come, if Jesus had not died and not been raised to life, we would not be resurrected. Death would not be destroyed. So let us give thanks to God, let us praise God for the wonderful, wonderful gift that he has given to us in Christ. Now so far we have seen that we will have resurrection bodies that come from our mortal bodies and yet are somewhat different. And our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's resurrection body. And our bodies will be transformed in an instant to become resurrection bodies when Jesus comes back again. And then Paul ends by saying in verse 58, this verse, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What has this verse got to do with the resurrection? Well, it tells us that There are implications of knowing about the resurrection. So if you ask, what is the use of knowing about the resurrection? After all, it's something in the future. It doesn't affect my life now. So I just store it in the back of my mind and just carry on with life as usual. No. Paul says, knowing about the resurrection and knowing that it will be a bodily resurrection is very, very relevant and important to your life today. See, it says God will win the victory over death. And therefore, because of God's victory and because your future resurrection is certain, therefore we must stand firm and let nothing move us. Stand firm in what? Well, if you remember back to the very beginning of this chapter, in verse 2, Paul says, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. The gospel is central to our salvation and we must stand firm in the gospel and not be moved from it. And we must remember that the gospel includes the teaching about Christ's resurrection and the teaching about our resurrection. And we must believe this, we must defend this, and we must proclaim this because that is the only thing that can save us, the gospel. Now, if you are not a Christian, there is life and hope beyond death. You see, death is not the end. God sent His Son Jesus to die for your sin and to bring you back to Him so that you will one day have resurrection life in Him. And all you need to do is to believe in Jesus in order to obtain this salvation, in order to be raised to life in the future. So let me urge you to put your trust, put your hope in Jesus. Now you can come and speak with me later or with Pastor Andrew. uh, If you have questions you want to ask, if you want to find out more about Christianity, please don't hesitate. Now what about the rest of us? Well, it's not enough to stand firm in believing the Gospel, but Paul also says that we must give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Well, if we believe in the resurrection, then we know that there is more to life than this life. If this life was all there is, then we might as well eat and drink and be merry, right? For tomorrow we die. But if we know that there is going to be a final resurrection, and God is going to judge everyone, then we will be careful how we live, if we know that God is going to punish the wicked and God is going to uh, reward the righteous, that is our motivation for how we live today. And if we know that that is not the end for us, that is merely the new beginning of eternal life, then we know that whatever we do in our body now is not going to be wasted. Our labor will not be lost. It will not be in vain. And so, that will encourage us To give of ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Do you believe in the resurrection? It's possible for your head to believe, but your heart to act as though it's not true. See, if you keep living only for this life, then really, practically speaking, you do not believe in the resurrection. It's no point saying with your mouth, I believe in the resurrection, if in your life you're saying that death will never come to me. If you really believe in the resurrection, it would change the way that you live. You will be standing firm in the gospel, you will be always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord and you will see the importance of doing gospel work and bringing souls to Christ before it's too late. Do you ever think about your death? It's not something that we often think about. But let me tell you something. It's good to think about your death. You know, every time you hear of a death, and every funeral that you go to, should remind you of your own death. You know, you should remember that one day it will be you in that coffin, one day it will be your face. In that corner of the newspaper, with the few lines describing your life. And that will help you put into eternal perspective everything that you strive so hard for now. See, when you, you know, that will help you to see that what you value so much now, all the things that you labor so hard for, all the things you try to achieve in your life, that will help you to see what it's really worth. So ask yourself, what, are, what am I laboring for in this life? Am I laboring for something that will last forever or something that will disappear the minute I die? Now sometimes we like to compartmentalize our lives into little boxes. Okay? We have one box for God and church, one for family, one for work, one for leisure, sport, relaxation, holidays. We want God and church to stay in their place and not come and disturb us, get in the way of all the other parts of our lives. When people ask us to serve, we think, well, I'm too busy at work. Oh, why me? Why is it always me? Why should I give up my hard-earned relaxation time? If only we could give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord as much as we give ourselves to our work, or our families, our sports, our relaxation, our holidays. You know, God doesn't say here, you know, give yourself to the work of the Lord sometimes. He doesn't say give yourself to the work of the Lord when you feel like it, when you're not too tired, when you have enough time. He says give yourself to the work of the Lord fully always. See God demands all of your life. Not just a small corner of your life. He is not one compartment in your life. He is the one who rules all the compartments in your life. So are you doing your work to serve God? Or for your own success and ambition in life? And your family time, your sports, your leisure activities, are they ways that you honor God? Or are they ways that you replace God? in your life? Do you go on holiday after holiday without considering its impact on your godliness and your spiritual health? Do you always put serving God in church as the lowest priority for your time and energy? Do you bring up your children to achieve worldly success, but at the expense of their spiritual growth and faith? Don't fool around with worldly desires and ambitions when God offers you something so much better. Because when you chase earthly things, you are rejecting precious eternal things in order to get worthless temporary things. Now, The famous author C.S. Lewis had this to say. He once said, It seems that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, just like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine uh, what it means by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So are you far too easily pleased. God tells you not to desire earthly things, but to desire heavenly things. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, which says, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Or Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves Treasures in heaven For where your treasure is There your heart will be also So where is your treasure And where is your heart Is it on earth Or is it in heaven Make sure that you are living now In light of heaven Live lightly to the things of this world They must not grip your heart They must not control you They must not become your idols Now another thing is that living in light of our resurrection also affects how we view our bodies. See, we live in a world today that is obsessed by youth, by looks, by health. Now in the past, to be old was something really good. It was of great worth. It brings wisdom, experience, and people respected those who are old. But now, to be old is You know, everybody dreads being old, everybody postpones being old. Nobody wants to look old or be old and people ignore the old people, right? See, when I was a little boy, my relatives would come to me and say, How come you never call me auntie, ah? Call me, call me, auntie. But now nobody will ever say that, right? Times have changed, nobody wants to be called auntie anymore. Auntie is no longer a title of respect. It's a mark of disrespect when you call somebody auntie. Now, two weeks ago, I was in Penang, and I read in the newspaper that it's becoming more common for uh, teenagers, young teenagers, 13, 14-year-olds in Malaysia, uh, female as well as male, to go for cosmetic surgery, to change the way they look, to, to make their bodies most, more like society's definition of a beautiful body. And everywhere we turn, we are bombarded by images of you know, young, healthy, fit, athletic bodies, and though so we all should be like that, young forevermore. Now don't worry, I'm not asking you to neglect your health. I'm not asking you to stop exercising. I'm not asking you to let yourself go. I'm not asking you to do these things. I'm saying, don't obsess about your body. It's not the only body that you have. Don't live for vanity. And even if something goes wrong with your health, don't panic. Trust God, seek medical help, but also remember that for us Christians, living for God is more important than preserving life even. Or are we really so afraid of death? Don't we believe that beyond death, God is going to give us a new life, in a new body? And because of this resurrection, why are we so scared of death? We should not fear death. For Christians, death is the passport to eternal life. As Paul says in Philippians, next slide, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. So Christians no longer fear death. Maybe you have a a bodily deformity. Maybe you have a scar that cannot be fixed. Maybe you have a disability, a chronic disease that can never be cured. And God forbid, maybe one day you might be diagnosed with a terminal illness. Well, if that happens to you, remember, death is not the end. And this body is only temporary. We have eternity to look forward to and to live for. So put your trust and your hope in God and set your hearts and your minds on heaven. The most important thing to think about in life is death. Now 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 reminds us that death is the final enemy. If you've ever been at a funeral and stared at a dead body and heard the sobbing of the relatives and felt the pain of loss, then you will know that death is a horrible enemy. Death is just wrong. Death should not be. Life should not be cut short by death. But as Christians, we have the most joyful, and the most hopeful, and the most important news that can ever be told, which is, God has defeated death. God did not defeat death by making us stop existing after we die, just like some people believe. God did not defeat death by making us continually reborn endlessly as another person or another animal, just like some people believe. But God defeated death by sending Jesus Christ to die and rise to new life for us, so that we can have eternal life and resurrection. Death has lost its sting for us. Death has lost its power over us. See, We no longer fear death because God has given us victory over death in Jesus Christ. And so our final response to today's passage is that we must never stop thanking God, praising God for His kindness, for His goodness, His grace and His love to us. He gives thanks every day that God defeated death and will resurrect us to eternal life. And give thanks for Jesus, God's Son, who made all of this possible for us. So let us thank God now as we close by meditating on these words from 1 Corinthians. Let's close your eyes. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, Heavenly Father, we deserve death because we have sinned against you, our life giver. And we deserve death because we use the bodies that you gave us to rebel against you and displease you. But thank you for your precious words, for the precious gospel that you gave to us. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for us, to atone for our sins and that you raised him from the dead, so that we too might have new life in him. Thank you that you have defeated death and given us life. We look forward in hope to resurrection and to the glory of heaven. So please help us not to be content with this world, but to live in light of heaven, to continue steadfast in faith, to always give ourselves fully, to your work, and to lead thankful and obedient lives until Christ comes again in glory. We pray in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.